At U.S. Bank, when we say we're in it with you, we mean it. Not just for the good stuff, the grand openings and celebrations, although those are pretty great, but for all the hard work it took to get there. The fine-tuning of goals, the managing of cash and workflows, and decision-making. We're in to help you through all of it. Because together, we're proving day in and day out that there is nothing as powerful as the power of us. Visit usbank.com to get started today. Equal housing lender. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. U.S. Bank. Electricity. A big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people are my friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After today, the start off week... Before stocks came roaring back, Dow ultimately gaining 104 points, S&P advancing 0.28%, and there we go, the Nasdaq rise another 0.50%. You need to know that this rally from the bottom was largely fueled by younger investors who can't resist or love it and buy the dip. Oh, yeah, they love to buy when stocks are down, regardless of the news backdrop. And they've got enough clout these days to move even some of the biggest stocks going higher into the market. So what's their stock playbook, these younger people? How can you game the gamers? First, the younger buyers don't care that there's no stimulus. They don't care that we've got so many vaccines coming that scientists say we might have a vaccine glut by the end of January. High quality problem. Frankly, I'm not sure what the heck they care about, except buying up stocks that they believe will go much, much higher. Oh, they're unfettered. They're, they're unchained. They're, they're, they're believers. They're optimists. And they don't really care about traditional metrics of valuation. When they have faith in something, they're willing to pay up regardless. If that sounds crazy to you and undisciplined, I get it. But at this point, these younger investors have made so much money that you need to take them seriously, maybe more seriously even than the old-fashioned hedge fund managers and strategists who are always willing to tout their positions and, more important, their hesitations or tell you to get out now on a day when the market goes down. These new stock pickers have a different approach, and, and for months that approach has been working. Sure, it flies in the face of the conventional wisdom, but what has the conventional wisdom done for you lately? In the end, we need to be the ones who adjust, not them. Not totally adjust, but we have to understand them. You know why? One word. Tesla. The stock of Tesla is now up 677% for the year. And that move has changed everything. Everything about the way people invest. Tesla is now a $616 billion enterprise, making it the sixth largest business in America. Yet it only plans to make up half a million cars this year. I could use any number of analogies to explain why Tesla doesn't deserve this lofty valuation. Well, it's not just bigger than Ford or GM. It's bigger than Ford, GM, Toyota, Fiat, Chrysler, Daimler, whatever. But this new generation of stock pickers, they don't think that, that, that. That's too small. I'm not being cynical. They certainly aren't cynical. See, they believe 
What do they believe? Well, they believe that Elon Musk is a genius. Seems reasonable. And they want to stick with him and his technology company. Notice it's a technology company with its green orientation as he takes over the world. Of course, you can't quantify something like that, so they just buy the stock. I mean, given the performance, though, I mean, who's to say they're wrong? I mean, you could argue Tesla keeps going up on nothing. I disagree. Today, Elon Musk announced that his company is selling $5 billion worth of shares over time. He's done that before. It's his third time. Continual offering. What happens? Well, of course, initially, the stock takes a dip as people, they're frantic. They get out. Incredibly high volume. But then what happens? Well, it goes down and down. And then it U-turns. And it goes higher. And it goes higher. And it goes higher. And it goes higher still. And then it finishes up eight bucks for an astounding 62 million shares. The idea that a stock could actually rally if they're announcing a big equity offering, even if it will be dribbled out, seems totally insane to anyone who's been in this business longer than one year. To conventionalize creating $5 billion with a new stock to lose your existing shareholders, that's bad, right? It means the stock that you have will be worth less. But younger investors could care less about dilution. As they see it, Musk raising more money to fulfill their dreams, and they went in on those dreams. If Tesla's new Berlin plan is a success, hey, maybe he'll build another one in Italy, right next to Lamborghini. Or maybe he'll put one up in Detroit to show up the old guard. He can use that money to take the solar division to new heights, perhaps building a giant solar field in northwest Colorado that could power the entire country. Hey, don't laugh. When Musk suggested this idea at a dinner party we went to to, uh, several years ago, I criticized it in front of others as pie in the sky. That's why he looked at me and said there was a 50% chance that I was just a simulation and not a real person. Who knows? If he raises enough money and gets to work on his plan, maybe we're all living in the Matrix, and I I am just a simulation. I mean, it could be... He's a he's a smart fellow, isn't he? All right, what matters though is that Musk's using the stock market for its actual original purpose to raise money. Better than debt, by the way. And these young investors, they lap it up. The fact that Tesla can offer five billion dollars worth of stock without damaging its share price, that's insanely bullish. That's a real market. That's not what we call a thick market. Of course it's not just Tesla. There's a whole host of stocks that don't seem to have any ceiling because these younger investors keep buying and buying, and then buying some more. You know what? I'm going to just show you some paradigms of the playbook. Let's call it that, paradigms of the playbook. And, and so you get a sense of what they're doing. And these all work. I do enough, do enough homework to know that these are working for younger people. I've got others. From time to time, we're going to see them all. But first, there is Roku. Now, that's the ultimate cord-cutting play because they're the ultimate cord-cutters. New investors love this because they know streaming is the future of television. Roku's up only 128% for the year, but they seem to have an affinity for it anyway, perhaps because they love using the platform to stream content directly to their TVs. Second, the next generation of investors love to shop online, specifically on Etsy or retail websites powered by Shopify. They want crafts, right? Uh, They want empowerment. Instead of paying a credit card, they got PayPal. I don't know how high these stocks can go because they're now divorced from traditional valuation metrics by far. Instead, they're more like totems that let you participate in the success of the whole craft chain. It's as much an ethos as it is an industry. These names actually remind me of Netflix and Amazon way back when, which represent alternative traditional entertainment and traditional mall shopping. Again, like Tesla or Roku, they're rebellion stocks. Think of that word, rebellion. These younger investors love that rebel aesthetic. A missed quarter here, a shortfall there. These don't mean anything to these new stock pickers because they don't buy into all that Wall Street gibberish anyway. The spreadsheet nonsense, will you give me a break? 
It's not about expectations to them. It's about the future. They laugh at the whole pretense that we take seriously. When they see a long-term thesis, they like it. They'll stick with it forever. They're not flippers. Sure, there's lots of options buyer, but these are people who are not going to blow out a stock because it misses by two cents. They don't even know what sense is. CEN test. You know what? Okay, here's another one. You know what people love? They love cybersecurity. They love Kramer family fave Okta. Zscaler is one of their absolute favorites. They're going nuts for Palo Alto Networks. CrowdStrike, are you kidding me? This one's hard to figure out, though. I mean, do they know hackers? I mean, I doubt it. Do they see the software at their jobs? I mean, maybe. All I know is that they love these things, especially Okta, of course, up 118% for you. That's the first one to turn. Every time you ever see the market go down, watch Okta. If it turns, that market's going to have a rally, okay? The Nasdaq will rally. I can't fault them for piling into the cybersecurity names. The whole industry is making a fortune thanks to the stay-at-home economy. Again, understand, these are smart. They're not dumb. These people aren't fools. They're not dumb. Stop, stop denigrating them. Stop looking down at them. Meanwhile, they still love Zoom video, but they were, <laughs> there were enough old-school investors in Zoom to drive the stock down when they started worrying about gross margin degradation. Hey, with Zoom in the doghouse, the kids have found a new one. They love Ring Central, the call center software play with its own video conferencing platform. There are other, other ones they can't get enough of. Virgin Galactic. I mean, you know, this is like investing in Star, in Star Trek. I mean, they love it. The insanely speculative space tourism stock. Maybe they have a Jules Verne complex. Oh, and then there's the latest fascination. Snowflake. I mean, they love Snowflake. Now, I struggle to figure out if they know Snowflake because they've seen how it has changed the way companies analyze data. You don't need to have a study computer science at Stanford anymore to be a data analyst when your company's got Snowflake. Maybe these younger investors just like the momentum in the stock or even the name. I mean, you've been Snowflaked. But I think there's more substance behind it. Of course, younger people can be fickle. They fell in love with Palantir, the security software firm, at 10, and then they fell out of love at 30. Oh, they talk about love, Fiverr, HubSpot. Don't ask me why. They go for anything electric vehicles, anything hydrogen, plug, ballard, fuel, you name it. If it's got hydrogen in it, it's going higher. But the bottom line, I wanted to give you the beginning of their playbook. And I am going to come back again and again because I respect them. Okay, I'm not cynical. I'm not being sardonic. I respect them. You know why? Because while these buyers may be young, we're in a market where callow youth has an edge over their cynical elders. Robert in Pennsylvania. Robert. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Robert. Big Eagles fan. Unfortunately, this year. Well, I got a little quarterback controversy there, but I don't know. I, I talked to Carson Palmer at length today. It's not so clear that it's Carson Wentz's fault. A couple of Carson's talking. Who knows? What's up? Well, uh, since 1977, I've been an, invest, an investor in tax-free municipal bonds. Okay. I'm an older guy now, and because of what's going on with states and municipalities, I'm kind of headed in the dividend direction. Of equities, okay. And I wanted to get your opinion about specifically ABV, ABB. Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked me. I'm going to have to defend what I did today on my conference call tomorrow for our club call. Uh, we sold a little ABV. We bought a ton when it was lower, and it got to be a huge position. And out of discipline, discipline, discipline. I like that. I had great discipline. Uh, we decided to trim a little just because it was too big, but I do like the company very much, and it's doing quite well, and that yield is for real. Let's go to Chris in Florida. Chris. Hey, Jimmy Chill. This is regarding AM, 
see with the recent announcement from Time Warner to release uh, the 2021 movie lineup digitally uh, at the same time uh, in the theaters, uh, you know, with AMC still being below $4, do you think it's a good COVID reopen play? Well, it's a vaccine play. This is a foot race between whether they have enough cash in the balance sheet and when we get the vac- what I'm calling the vaccine glut, which should happen in the first quarter. At three bucks, it's an interesting call on the vaccine, but that's all it is. All right, today was about younger investors buying the dip. I'm trying to get you in their heads because their heads are working. They're moving the market, and many of their ideas are real good. So you're getting their playbook. Well, everybody, tonight, more than two-thirds of the U.S. households own a pet. With more pet parents avoiding walk-in stores and animal adoption soaring, don't forget your shelters, is Chewy in a prime position to profit. I'm going to talk to CEO. Then could the upcoming Airbnb IPO be the perfect pandemic play? You know what? We're actually going to drill down and tell you the numbers. And my exclusive with Haynes Celestial. Could the company's strategic efforts make its healthy investment? Yes, health and wellness still works. I'm talking to the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This has been a fabulous year for e-commerce, and that includes Chewy, the online retailer for pet food and pet supplies that came public last summer. The company has become a vital resource for pet owners who don't want to shop in, a, in person during a pandemic, including me, which is why the stock surged from $29 at the end of last year to $79 today and is going up in after hours. Tonight, Chewy knocked it out of the park again, reporting an excellent top and bottom line beat with 45% sales growth. I wouldn't be surprised if it's got even more upside considering the fact that they are surprisingly profitable. So let's dig deeper with Sumit Singh. He's the bankable CEO of Chewy. Learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Singh, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Hi, Jim. Good to be here. Well, Samit, first, uh, I, I wanted to thank you for the condolence card that you sent me uh, for when my dog, NVIDIA, passed away. That is not unusual for Chewy, is it? You take that care like that. Absolutely, Jim. First of all, sorry to hear about NVIDIA again. You know, pets are like family members. And when you're and we obviously have made it a part of our mission to be there with pet parents through the highs and lows of pet parenting. And when a moment like this occurs, uh, you know, it's a time for us to reach in and show empathy. And that's exactly what we're doing. Well, so, I, uh, it's remarkable know, because you have a huge number of customers. How are you able to scale this kind of kindness? You know, kindness scales automatically, Jim. 18 million customers closing as of, uh, you know, Q3. And what we're doing is, you know, surprising and delighting customers, whether it's, you know, happy moments or moments of empathy. And what, what we really are out there to do is when we reach one customer in this particular manner, that one customer then goes out and, and talks to a network of customers. So we don't have to reach all 18 million of them as long as we're reaching enough of them incredible moments of their life and they become evangelists of our brand. And honestly, like we, this is, this is what we have fun doing. This is what our, this is so central and core to our purpose that we don't see it as work. We see it as part of engagement with customers uh, and building a brand. Well, let's talk about this, what building a brand can mean. A lot of it is word of mouth. I can't tell you how many people do talk up Chewy. I, I talk up my dog, you know that. I, this is my new dog, Marley. Uh, I can't tell you how many people Tell me, you know what, I once over-ordered and I called them or I had to turn it off for this month or something happened with my pet. And they didn't, you didn't say, well, return the food for a credit. You told it, people to donate it to a shelter. That's exactly right. I mean, we have, in our opinion, we have the most forward and customer-friendly uh, you know, policies in the industry, at least when it comes to the pet category. And what we're doing there is we're helping you reconnect. Look, we understand that pet parents have a strong urge to connect and give back. And Chewy wants to be able to be a part of that mission in connecting pet parents give back to the shelter and rescue community in this case. And so we're closing the loop. Because think about it. I mean, the shelters and rescue community, like especially during the pandemic, have been on the forefront. Right? They were the ones leading the charge when adoptions went up. And they need help with resourcing. And if we can get our, our customers engaged in a, in a process or a policy like that, I mean, that's a win-win for everybody involved. So we're happy to do that. All right. So, Simi, let, let's talk about some of the things, the, the actual hardcore numbers. There's some incredible appreciation that has gone even just quarter to quarter and year over year in terms of the use of Chewy. I'm frankly astounded. A growth that I would might expect in two, three years is happening in a quarter. How much is pandemic? How much is the word of mouth? Yeah, we, you know, growth, obviously 2020 has been a tremendous boost to acceleration of, of the growth curve that we were already seeing. So regardless of whether we were in a pandemic or not, the secular shift that we were enjoying and executing behind was all driven by the value proposition that we bring to the space. Now, the pandemic has stepped in, and I believe that growth has accelerated. Several quarters of growth were compressed into this year. And coming out of the pandemic, we don't really believe the value proposition changing, right? The shift that was happening is already happening. We've actually accelerated that shift. There's a large market that we play in, $100 billion. And we're, you know, we are, we're still only 18 million customers of a $100 million, 100 million U.S. pet-owning household. So we don't really believe the growth that we're delivering right now is pandemic-driven. 
we see greater number of customers acquired. We see those customers spending more with our platform. And we see customers from all walks of life. I'll give you an example. Year to date, our, new, our customers with new uh, pets and puppies and kittens are up nearly 40% on a year-over-year -year comparative basis. That's huge. Now, uh, one last thing. You've moved into healthcare. And to me, healthcare has always been something that's very expensive for pets. When people look at, look, we have shelter, uh, shelter dogs, there's things, shelter cats, there's things that go wrong, it's expensive. How can you help keep the cost down for a, an, a pet owner who's worried about the, about the out-of-cast cost? You know, healthcare is a, is a space where we believe that our mission is to break, make healthcare, along with the veterinarians, by the way, who share a common mission, to make healthcare more accessible and affordable for pet parents. And take the example of the service that we just launched, which is Connect with a Vet. We're offering it free to our AutoShip customers. And what we're really doing there is, you know, there's a, there, our data suggests, Jim, that there's up to a third of U.S. pet parents either don't visit the vet or don't do it routinely. And the reasons for that are either they feel like vet care is too expensive mm -hmm. or they're generally just not aware of preventative, uh, uh, you know, healthcare in the pet right. space. And so a service like this can help connect those pet parents to a licensed veterinarian who can essentially break down the barriers, answer questions, and drive qualified traffic back into veterinarian clinics. So everybody sort of benefits from that equation in, in achieving that common mission of, of, of improving pet health and wellness in the, in the country. Well, that is definitely what you are about, and you're about personalization, which seems to be impossible at scale, but somehow you've done it. And I think you have a, that's because you have a heart. You're a pet owner like I am, and you care. That is Subit Singh. He is the CEO of Chewy. Congratulations on that EBITDA positive quarter. Fantastic work. Great to see you again. Thank you, Jim. Great to see you, too. Thank you. Guys, this is one of those stocks like I talked about at the top of the show. Uh, it's going to be seized on and taken even higher. You may not like that because it's expensive, but I listen to what's going on and I say, I'd like those some chewing. They have money's back there. Break. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The IPO market came roaring back to life in September, as we know, with a slew of huge deals, like Snowflake. But then Wall Street got distracted by the election. Now, though, we've processed the election, and we're about to get a pair of colossal, hotly anticipated initial public offerings. Now, last night, I walked you through DoorDash. That's a digital food delivery platform I like so much as coming public tomorrow. I think it's an incredible business, but the hype off the, <laughs> off the charts right now, I don't know if I like that. So I, I'd be a buyer if you can get it for $100 or less. Now, if that sounds conservative, you need to know there are plenty of other opportunities in this market, including this week's second gigantic unicorn IPO, and that's Airbnb. 
which comes public on Thursday. What can I say about these guys? Airbnb has almost single-handedly disrupted the entire lodging industry by creating an online marketplace where regular people can rent out their homes to strangers. The company has more than 4 million hosts offering everything from a single room and apartments to entire luxury villas. And the company's going global, operating in over 220 countries. I mean, I didn't even know 220 countries existed. Now, things look really bad for Airbnb when the pandemic rolled over us in the spring and travel ground to a halt. The company had to do an emergency capital raise in April that fired the business down to $18 billion. Uh, wow. I mean, it was $31 billion before that in 2017. But less than a month later, Airbnb laid off a quarter of its workforce. It was pretty jarring. It was a dire moment. But in the last seven months, the company's made a remarkable comeback. As the pandemic wore on and on and then on, a lot of us started going stir crazy. People became desperate to get out of their homes. The whole country barely needed vacation, still does, by the way. Unfortunately, there aren't many ways to travel safely when a potentially lethal virus is spreading like wildfire. Can't stay in a hotel. You might have to pack into a crowded elevator. And even if there are no other guests, you still come into contact with the staff. I mean, just, just it, the place is not compatible to social distancing. And that's where Airbnb comes in. When you rent a place on their platform, you control that platform for the whole duration of your stay. So you get there, you give the place a scrub down with Clorox wipes, maybe some Lysol, and then you kick back and you relax. Sure enough, we started hearing that Airbnb's doing fabulously well, especially compared to the hotel industry. Suddenly the stock is ready to come public. So what do we think of this one? First off, Airbnb has a terrific platform. They've cracked the code on getting strangers to trust each other thanks to a system of reviews, great reviews, secure messaging, risk scoring, background checks, cleanliness standards, fraud prevention, secure payments, and, of course, their generous refund policy. Although some people think it's not generous enough, I understand. Many others think that it's happy to have a refund at all. Before COVID came along, this company was taking the lodging industry by storm. They've had the hotels on the ropes for years. Management believes they could be dealing with a $3.4 trillion total addressable market between short-term stays, long-term stays, and travel experiences. I agree with them. Second, unlike a lot of these unicorn stories, Airbnb has real discipline when it comes to spending. Remember, after the virus turned the world upside down, this company cut costs aggressively. On top of firing 25% of their employees, brutal, they suspended nearly all their discretionary marketing spend, cut executive salaries for six months, froze new facility build-outs, and slashed capital expenditures. And the result? Even though Airbnb has been pummeled by COVID, the business is in surprisingly good shape, in large part because CEO Brian Chesky is a fabulous operator who knew what to do in a crisis. Let's look at the numbers. The key metric here is gross nights booked, which bottomed down 72% year over year in April. Wow, at the height of the lockdown. But because Airbnb is the ideally socially distant vacation play, that number swiftly recovered. By June, gross nights booked were only down 20% year over year. That's the good news, the bad news. That number hasn't recovered any further. It's down 23% in September. There's only so much you can do in the middle of a pandemic. Like, where are you even going to go once you get there? That is a real issue, isn't it? And the surge is not helping. However, Airbnb's daily rates are up roughly 20% year over year. That matters, meaning they lose in volume, but they're coming close to making it up in price. Before COVID came uh, along, we knew that business was on fire. Airbnb delivered 32% revenue growth in 2019. Stellar threw off a ton of cash, too. However, because 2019 was an investment year, the company lost money, even though they'd put up a positive operating profit two years before. It's not really clear whether those investments paid off. 
But I like that Airbnb has the flexibility that comes from being almost profitable. That's often enough for the growth stock buyers in this market, including this new, horde, new cohort I keep talking about. How about the future? Difficulty here is that we don't really know exactly what the future will look like once everyone's vaccinated and the economy goes back to normal. But we do know it's going to be better. With COVID cases exploding right now, Airbnb is going to have a real ugly fourth quarter. And that weakness could very well extend into the first quarter of next year. But think about this. By the time April rolls around, millions of people should be vaccinated. Remember, I'm calling it the vaccine glut. And I have to believe we'll see recovery in the travel stocks in a rapid fashion. Plus, once we get to, to March, Airbnb is going to be up against some incredibly easy comparisons. They set, sets the company up for some monster year-over-year growth. In other words, this business will look great in 2021, especially when you layer in all the cost cuts they put through. On top of that, Airbnb's a last-man-standing situation. Sadly, a bunch of smaller bed and breakfasts are going under which means less competition. But the next few months could be pretty rough, especially if IPO investors freak out when they see Airbnb's first quarter out the gate. They shouldn't. They should know that. They should be listening. Meanwhile, they've got some real competition. They own this Verbo, uh, uh, Expedia's vacation rental subsidiary, and there are at least a half dozen smaller players in the same space. Still, I think Airbnb, I'm telling you, I think I'd buy it. Yes, right price, but I would buy it. The stock's expected to come public between 56 and 60. Got to figure it'll be at the, uh, closer to the higher end of the range or even above it. At the high end, this company would have a $42 billion market cap, not down with 17 where it was. But, you know, listen, this is a big company, and it's a good one. At 60, Airbnb would be trading at little less than 10 times next year's sales, at least according to estimates from an alpha called Atlantic Equities. If the stock gets up to 80, that's more than 13 times sales. That's too expensive for me. That's more than twice as expensive as something like Lyft or Uber. So where do I come down? The bottom line is that I want you to own Airbnb because it's set to have a terrific year starting next March. That means you've got a few months to make your move. No rush. If you can get the stock for $68 or less this week, I'd back up the truck. If you can get it for less than $85, I'm granting you a small position. Any higher, though? And I'm going to have to say you got to keep your bat on your shoulder and wait for a better pitch. I need to go to Robert in Maryland. Robert. Chill man in the house. What's up, Jim? Man, I'm having a time of my life out here. How about you? Doing good, doing good. Second time calling. Thanks for taking my call. Um, listen, I need your help with GoodRx. Now, it fell like 22% in November, and after the Death Star, a.k.a. Amazon, came out saying they were going to get involved, then it's just kind of been lagging. I wanted to know if this was a good time to uh, start buying, buying some shares here. I think it is. I've got to tell you, I think the Death Star has a lot of, uh, a lot of power, obviously speaking of Amazon. But GoodRx performs a really good service. And I think Doug Hirsch does a great job. And these other guys, frankly, they're going to be talking and talking. They're going to do it where right now uh, Doug Hirsch is doing it. I think this is a buy. There. Joe in New York. Joe. Hey, Jen. Big fan. Thank you. Hey, I got a stock for you here. MP Materials. Ticker symbol is MP. Okay. This is the only actual a uh, rare earth material company that we have. Most of our rare earth stuff comes in China. It's a redo uh, company. It used to be something else, but I, I mean, it kind of went under. But I'll tell you about how I feel about this. It had some what I call an island reversal today. I know that sounds silly, but the stock went up and then down. It usually means you got to cool off for a couple days. We saw the same thing happen with plug power, up and then down, cool off, and then it can come back. So I say let's not be aggressive right here. Let it come in. Airbnb is set to have a terrific year. 
but you have a few months to make your move. No rush. There's much more man money ahead, including my exclusive with Haynes Celestial. Could pantry packing help push the stock higher? Remember those guys? Well, I've got the exclusive with the new CEO. Then in the game of business and money, should you go with the pros or do you go with the amateurs? I'm going to give you my take and all your calls. Rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. In a market that's too exciting for its own good, you could end up missing some big winners simply because they're not flashy enough. But I love a nice, quiet bull market, which brings me to Haynes Celestial. Here's a natural organic food and personal care company. You might know them as Celestial Seasons, Earth Best, Garden of Eden, Health Valley, Alba Botanica, and Avalon Organics, among other brands. Now, for years, Haynes Celestial was one of the best growth stories around, uh, with the stock running from the single digits in 2009 all the way up to 70 in 2015. We recommended it constantly. But then Haynes hit a wall. Between rising competition, pushback from the top customers at Whole Foods, and then some accounting issues, the stock spent years grinding its way lower. However, a little over two years ago, they brought in a new CEO from Pinnacle Foods who came in with a mandate to turn around the business, and now we are seeing the results. A month ago, Hain reported a terrific quarter, their best in many years. A nice top and bottom line beat, 10% sales growth, some notable market share gains. Since then, the stock's up roughly 25%. You know what? I think it's got more to run. So let's take a closer look with Mark Schiller. He's the turnaround artist, president and CEO of Hain Celestial. Get a better sense of where his company's headed, Mr. Schiller. Welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, so Mark, let me ask you point blank. Uh, when this company, uh, when we saw the company last, here's where we were. Profits were declining 50%. It was a hodgepodge of brands. SEC all over them. Couldn't get financials. To me, I felt like maybe there was less than meets the eye here. In a very short period of time, you've created what I regard as a whole new company. So tell us how you did it and what you're doing. Yeah, we, we were drowning in complexity, Jim. We, we saw health and wellness coming before anybody else, but we had acquired 55 brands over 25 years and really were more of a holding company uh, than anything else. So I was brought in to turn it into an operating company, and we put a new team in place. We've got a, a strategy that's been working, and we've seen uh, tremendous results. You have let go of a lot of smaller brands that I don't think could ever be bigger brands that would probably cost you at least mind share, if not money. Yeah, having 55 brands, you just can't nurture that money, that many brands. And so we had to make some choices in terms of which ones we were going to grow and which ones were less important to our journey going forward. We shed 17 brands so far that had about $800 million worth of sales, only about $30 million worth of EBITDA. Um, but we're, we're getting to be a much more focused, much simpler company, which allows us to really grow the ones with the biggest At the same time, you still have a lot of international. I mean, for instance, I was trying to figure out who of the companies I follow have Brexit risk. And Haines Celestial has Brexit risk. Yeah, we have about half of our company outside the U.S., uh, most of it in Europe. And uh, we have eight number one and number two share brands there. So we have an amazing portfolio of products. Uh, Ella's, Linda McCartney, Meat Free. Hartley's jams and jellies. We have a big non-dairy beverage business and uh, a lot of opportunity there. And certainly we're watching Brexit closely and we're prepared either way. All right. Now, how about uh, where is the consumer going? I see when I eat, I see the consumer going vegan. I see the consumer going uh, uh, animal uh, cruelty free. I, I see clean. I see ESG within products. Are you uh, you've always been there, but are you taking it to the next level? 
Yeah, I mean, look, this company was founded on health and wellness. It's in our core DNA, uh, and we've got an amazing portfolio of brands that is very well positioned for the future. And I would tell you, even um, during the pandemic, people's interest in health and wellness has accelerated because th this is a health crisis. They're worried about pre-existing conditions. They're worried about losing weight. And so there's people gravitating right toward where we are situated. And we have amazing brands. We just got to make people aware of them and get them in their mouths. All right, so, Mark, how do you handle whether we're about to have another surge? Do you have the right inventory? You obviously want a lot of inventory, but if you have too much, you have to discount. Yeah, so we were very prepared at the beginning for the first wave because we have such a big part of our business in Europe. We saw it coming, I think, before others did. And we've serviced the business incredibly well through the pandemic. For this new surge that's coming up, we look back at the things that have a long supply chain, things that um, we don't have a backup source of supply, and we've built extra inventory for the surge. We've got about $50 million more million worth of inventory, and we are ready for whatever comes our way. Now, I know you've got uh, hand sanitizer, and that's terrific, and uh, we like your, uh, your skin care products, but I was wondering, uh, just sun, uh, sun care, I was wondering, at a certain point, you have to say, you know what, we should either be a consumer packaged goods company focused on food, or we should do uh, the products that are, that are focused on, you know, let, let's say cosmetics, so to speak, or, or health care, uh, hair health care, whatever, you, however you want to put it, but uh, lavender shampoo. Can you really have both under the same roof? Yeah, so we're on a journey to continue simplifying the portfolio. And, you know, um, we've kept the things that we think have the greatest potential, and we're going to realize that potential, and we're going to continue reshaping the portfolio for the future. So I, I, I'm not going to speak to specific plans for anything uh, individually, but what I would tell you is the brands that we've chosen to focus on have great growth potential. They have great consumer franchises. They're well positioned with where the consumer is going. And uh, we'll keep on the journey and we'll keep making progress. Right, you divide your brands among get bigger brands and get better major brands. How can our investors get their arms around what these two topics mean? Yeah, so get bigger was really the ones that we thought had the most mainstream potential. Because the key to success for us with low household penetration brands is to get them in more people's hands. Uh, and that's tea, snacks, yogurt, and personal care. Uh, in North America and in international, we would add to that um, meat-free and non-dairy beverages, which are also growing nicely. The rest of the portfolio is what we call Get Better, where we're more focused on profit generation to fuel the growth and the investments we need in those Get Bigger brands. Mark, I also know you're innovating. For instance, I see an energy tea drink up there that I wonder if wouldn't keep me up all night but make me feel good at the same time. Yeah, for you, you know, we have tea with melatonin, but for a lot of people that love caffeine but don't want to drink coffee, they don't like the flavor, they don't like what it does to their stomach, we've got energy tea, we've launched tea with probiotics, tea with immunity boosters, we are leading the way throughout uh, the category in tea, and, and the great news about this stuff is it's been 90% incremental to the category, which gets the retailer really excited about stocking it because we're helping them grow not just helping ourselves grow. So we're off to a great start. We have a ton of innovation coming. And uh, because a lot of retailers haven't reset their categories yet, there's a lot more space to be gained going forward. Well, Mark, you're doing a terrific job in just two-year time. It's rather remarkable, the term, but I think the stock can go much higher. It's a much better company now than when it was in $70 stock. Mark Schiller, CEO of the Haynes Lester Group, HAIN. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. My pleasure. Thanks, Jim. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time! 
Apple's one of those. Samson, bye bye bye. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead. Time for the lightning round. We're going to start with Phil in North Carolina. Phil. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you, Phil? I'm doing great. You know, I've called so many times, and every time I do, I mention you in the same sentence as I do to Peter Lynch. Oh, I wow. know you don't, you're humbled when I say that. But listen, Peter Lynch never had an acronym in like Fang. <laughs> well, Fang was really? good. Fang was good. So what's best. going on? Anyway, listen, this is regarding my grandson. His name is PJ. And the last time I called for him, I told you how how helpful you were in making me be able to afford him a good college education. Well, that's what we want. That's why we do the show. Yeah, he does. And he starts in the spring. And I'm going to be able to give him a couple of bucks every month because of you. Yes. And we've done anyway, it. That's why we keep okay. doing the show after many years. How, let's do it yes. again, Phil. Let's do it again now. Okay. Okay. This stock is a Southeast Asia stock. And I know you don't like to comment on this type of stock, but it's up 444% in the last year. And it just got approved, awarded the digital banking license in Singapore. I think my, you might know what stock I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, SE, right? SE. Now here's the problem with that one, sir. You know, I mean, if you think I'm like Phil, uh, Peter Lynch, I can't analyze that company. Doesn't make any money. It's got all of the appeal of a lot of the companies I follow, but I can't opine on it. I'm not, I'm not dodging it. I just don't know it. And, but I would also say nobody else does either. But thank you for the kind words. Let's go to Blake in Louisiana. Blake. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Blake. Thank you, sir. First time caller. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on Quest Diagnostics. I think Quest is good. I like LabCorp more, frankly. I think LabCorp has really done a very good job after very initially stumbling. LabCorp was quick. No, no, no. I'm going to Dave in Arizona, please. Dave. Mr. Kramer, you yes. discussed companies that are up 100% more from their March lows this year. But the company I want to ask you about is up 950%. What's your opinion of Pacific Biosciences? Okay, uh, Pacific Biosciences is a company that at various times has been regarded as a, the most, maybe the most speculative stock in the market. But I would say this, uh, gene sequencing, people just want to buy gene sequencing, and so therefore they're going to buy it. I can't tell them to buy it up here. It's moved too much. I need to go to Stacy in New York. Stacy. Hey, we're all big Jimmy Chill fans here and have enjoyed lots of wins with you in our corner. So all right, you. even though Chill tends to be slamming, what's going on? <laughs> um, my question is not about one of those wins. It's Haynes Brands. Very, okay, very pedestrian stock, doing okay. Uh, there are a lot of, look, I thought PVH did a decent job in the quarter. I'd rather be in that than be in this one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. We are a nation of armchair quarterbacks. We watch the professionals play the game, and every time it looks like they make a mistake, well, we think we know better. Sometimes that's actually good. When it comes to stock picking lately, the amateurs have been trounced to the professionals this year. Sometimes it's harmless, talking trash about football players. But occasionally, you know what? The experts really do know what they're talking about. And you do yourself a disservice when you lend too much credence to amateurs who believe they know better. 
So let's talk about retail. Let's talk about restaurants. We know a company like Costco is run by consummate professionals. It's one reason I've been recommending the stock since the show began. When the pandemic burst out of control, they were the first store to recognize the advantage they had over the smaller operators. See, Costco's got wide aisles, meaning shopping carts could pass each other without breaking social distancing. But while wide aisles weren't enough to keep people safe, and that's why Costco was the first major retailer to demand all its customers wear masks. The armchair quarterbacks hated that. Costco wasn't trying to get more customers, though. They simply looked at the data and recognized it was the right thing to do, the professional thing to do, the professional thing to do. Sure enough, most customers loved it, and Costco's business soared. People felt safer shopping there. Plus, because Costco is deemed an essential retailer, they cleaned up while their non-essential competitors had to shut down. While there's an element of luck there, the fact is that Costco led the industry in the fight against the virus, and most of the rivals eventually had to follow suit. What about these smaller operators? Hey, you know what? I am a smaller operator. Let's talk about Bar San Miguel, my now, unfortunately, and sadly mothballed 17-table small plate Mexican place in Brooklyn. We're heavily regulated by the health department. We've got an A on the window because we passed inspections. You got a B if they find grease on the hood of a stove or even dust on a shelf of a liquor cabinet. That's the kiss of death. Now, when it comes to the pandemic, the health department actually knows what they're doing. They understand that if one person has COVID in a restaurant that doesn't have proper ventilation, that person could infect the whole place, especially since you can't wear a mask while you're eating or drinking. That's a fact of life. We had to shut down because it's just not worth it to operate in this environment. I don't want to get people sick. I mean, I like to make money. I don't want to get people sick. Now, to the armchair quarterbacks out there, Bar San Miguel looks like a place run by idiots shut down by clowns. Never mind that the governor will probably shut down all indoor dining as soon as next week. It's just too risky. From the outside, it might seem like the, place that, the, the places that can stay open, like Costco, are run by cunning and lucky executives, while the smaller operators, they've had to shut down a bunch of jokers, or that were helpless victims of jackbooted regulators who are downright un-American, maybe even crypto-fascist. But the truth is, there's a world of difference between a bar and a big-box retailer. Because of the way COVID spreads, a small bar is much more dangerous than a massive store where everyone can stay masked. That's a fact of life accepted by pretty much everyone who studied the issue, from the government to the public health officials to the CDC, but most important, to the people who actually run these businesses. Unfortunately, armchair quarterbacks won't hear anything about it. Nope. They want to draw a false equivalence between a big retailer like Costco and smaller independent bars and restaurants like I own. That's not helpful when you're trying to manage your own money. Here's how I see it. We're in for an ugly winter. And it'll be better for everyone if we trust the darn public health experts. They're the professionals. They're the experts. And they've had to get nearly a year to get their heads around this virus, but they figured it out. So please, I'm begging you, don't try to play armchair quarterback with COVID-19. We're almost at the finish line. The vaccine is coming. And there could be a vaccine glut by the end of the first quarter. So let's not drop the ball in the home stretch to completely mix sports metaphors. Listen, when you're picking stocks, the amateurs can run circles around the professionals. But the stock market is a weird place where every trade has two sides. When it comes to public health, though, you know, there's actually only one side of the story. And you'll be in much better shape if you believe it. I wish everything could stay open. We go back to normal. But that's just not how it works. Anyone who tells you differently doesn't know what they're talking about. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.